You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, he has No! Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Skoll, joining me Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And the man who oversaw the introduction of the plastic pitch at Oldham Athletic is Michael Marden. Hello. Welcome back. We've been deluged with angry emails. I won't read out any of them. Just saying, please do another series. Yeah. Uh, So we bowed to uh, the trickle of public demand. (laughs) It was when I was outside, um, did a tour show in Oxford and someone just shouted at me in the street, Bring quickly Kevin back. <laughs> and I thought, what is the point of this tour? <laughs> I could just sit in a box and talk about Andy Ritchie and people are more happy. So here we are. Your, your stand-up career now is just fluffing quickly Kevin. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Good break? Yeah, good break. I had that exactly that on the uh, Central Line platform about two weeks ago at like Tottenham Court Road about kind of 7am. And someone comes to me and went, bring quickly Kevin back. Like you, I felt like 7am was like it's really early to be to given that request. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. I just get, oh, it's Harry Hill, it's Mingle Merciless. <laughs> That's just me and Josh. Bring TV Burt back. Um, so this is the first episode of a series of eight before Christmas, which precedes what we are calling a big year for Quickly Kevin. We are back properly now. We will be doing a new series in spring. But for now, we begin with a huge episode. It is the conclusion the two-part conclusion of the Steve Barnes trilogy. Excited? It's a big week. Do you know, I, I think I shared this, but I was in close proximity to Steve Bruce within the last week. Yeah. As I, as I, as I was saying, I was... Where I was were you? The, the Hay on Y Book Festival. I was, at, <laughs> I was at the home of football, the London Stadium, West yeah. Ham versus Newcastle, and I said, I'm stood next to Steve Bruce, and obviously, got to get a selfie. Yeah. And I, But he had his back to me. He was actually watching the Man United... Um, Bournemouth game that was on. Yeah, it was pretty much. You would be interested in that if you were a, a football manager in the Premier League. But like an hour before kickoff for the team you're managing, is, hasn't he got stuff to do? It's only West Ham, mate. 3-0 <laughs> 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 up after 15 minutes. Yeah, what he was doing, he was doing well. Um, so he was intently watching that and I went to get a selfie and I got a kind of selfie with him with his back to me and then I since found out that he spotted me taking a selfie of him yeah. and was quote unquote pissed off. You shouldn't have shouted, bring Steve Barnes back. 
<laughs> do you think? And it, it struck me. Do you think we're here about to close the trilogy down on Steve Bruce's uh, murder mysteries? Do you think he's aware of this teardown of his literary work? I'm interested in that. I don't know. I if don't I met, I don't. I don't think he is. But were I to meet Steve Bruce, fifteen percent of me would be worried he'd punch me. <laughs> Do you think that's fair? Yeah, if we, I, I've thought about if we got him on the pod as a guest. I don't think we could, because I think it would be rude. Imagine if we got him on the pod, did the whole pod, and we just didn't bring it up. <laughs> I wouldn't, I would be too scared to mention it. I would yeah. hope that he'd not listen to those ones. Do you know when you get a guest in and you go, um, have you heard the podcast before? And they go, no. And usually you think, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> but with Steve Bruce, you think, thank God for that. <laughs> And although we've been pretty damning of the first two books, the third one could be a step change. It could be... A ma- he's see. learned now. Let's he's written see. two books. Has he learned from his mistakes? Third Verve album. That's when they broke through. <laughs> now, since June, when we last broadcast, we've had quite a lot of correspondence. You've got mail. I'm not going to lie to you, I star each email that I think is relevant to us as it comes in, and I think I'll go back and I'll look through them. The other day, last leg writing day, I'm not going to lie, eight hours we were sat in that meeting, it took me that time to go through the 500 emails we've had. (laughs) I copied and pasted the emails I thought we'd want to read out. We've got 41 pages of correspondence <laughs> to work our way through. All of it golden. Just to be clear before anyone switches off, not just Not, not just episode. today, just <laughs> over the future. But do keep it coming in because we do love to hear it. It's genuinely, it's wonderful. So, this to start the series from Daniel Atenzi. Hi guys, I thought I would tell you my story about a chance meeting with a footballer's brother in my local pub and a story he told me about Championship Manager. I was standing in my local pub one Tuesday evening with some friends watching a Champions League match on TV when a regular from my local called Steve came in to work with his colleague. They stood at the bar with me and my friends where we started chatting about the subject of Soccer Saturday. I started saying how funny Paul Merson was and how I liked listening to his analysis. At this point, I received no further reaction from Steve and his friend. A few minutes later, I went to the toilet. Steve's work companion came into the toilet, approached me and said it was regarding Paul Merson. He said he didn't usually name drop, but as I'd said nice things about Paul, he'd tell me that he was, in fact, his older brother, Trevor. <laughs> Trevor Merson. Trevor Merson. After this revelation, we went back to the bar and I started asking him some questions about being a premiership footballer's brother. The conversation got on to championship manager. Trevor told me about when Paul signed for Middlesbrough and that he went up there to keep him company. In your interview with Paul, he actually mentions that Trevor got £400 a week to be there with him. Trevor told me that they shared a house with Paul Gascoigne and Mark Schwartzer, I think it was. He said all he did was go to training with the boys every day, go drinking with them and play championship manager. (laughs) Amazing. I asked him about the game and how well he did on it. He proceeded to tell me the story that one day at training, he was talking to one of the coaches who was a keen player of the game. Trevor was telling this coach about a South American player on the game that was amazing. You can pick him up for cheap. He told him the player's name and which team he played for. The coach said he'll have a look at him. That weekend, Trevor goes into the newspaper shop on a Sunday morning, opens the back page to see the news article, Middlesbrough are about to sign a South American. Lo and behold, it's the player Trevor mentioned to the coach from Championship Manager. Turns out, Brian Robson had overheard the conversation, got his scouts to look at this player. Now, I know you're doubtful at this point, Michael. Yeah. Pretty sure he said they ended up buying him for a couple of million on the back of watching him for one game and the rest on what Robson heard from Trevor and the coach. 
Trevor told me in real life the player was shit and only scored one goal. <laughs> I can't remember the player's name, but I've looked at the roster of Borough from that year. Paul was there. And the player I think it might be is Jamie Marino. <laughs> from Bolivia. He had two spells at Borough, both was shocking as a striker. Stats where he played 20 and scored one in his first spell. Second, he played five and scored one. But it'd be great to get this verified. If I do bump into Trevor again, I will definitely ask him, but it's been a while since I've seen him. He used to come into my local and he loves a brain teaser. Lovely broke and likes a drink. Wow. Isn't that an amazing... What I love about that, the amount of twists and turns where you think that's a good enough story to read out, but it keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> The, the rug pull of, if this is Janino, I'm, I'm calling No, yeah, I knew it was... I knew it, but Jamie Mourinho, I remember being good on Championship Manager. Yes, yeah. that name so, rings a bell. So it, what, it, yeah. And it checks out. Yeah. The only thing I don't buy is by the weekend they were buying him. I think the time scale has got wrong there. Yeah. Uh, do you think as well, like Brian, you said Brian Robson overheard that conversation. Do you think Brian Robson didn't know they were talking about Championship Manager? Like, I've, <laughs> like, I found this great player. And Brian Robson was like, oh, I've heard a bit of gossip here. And acted on it, not realising the game. If Trevor Merson's listening, or if anyone can verify that story, I'd love to know more about yeah. whether that is true. Do you want some more? Yes, yes. Hi, Quickly Kevin Podcast. Back in 1992, I was a captain of the school football team. The captaincy primarily given to me because I was the tallest player on the team. The team was sponsored by North Yorkshire Police, which meant our kit had a picture of a man giving sweets to a kid with a big red cross over the picture. <laughs> Not sure if our school had a particular problem with paedophiles, but it certainly was a strange choice. Keep up the good work, Tom Lister. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? That's mad. A picture on your school kit, your sponsor is a man giving a child sweets with a red cross through it. <laughs> but they've thought we need to target the right demographic. This is yeah. the perfect demographic to get the message across. I always think with like campaigns like that, like how do they cast the guy to be yeah. the one in that picture? Like, oh, we've got a little photo shoot we need to. We're looking for a model. Like, yeah, what's it, what's it for? Oh, don't worry about that. You just need to have some sweets. We'll put it what would be it. your fee to be the model in the um, sweets <laughs> cross advert? <laughs> In, in an internet age, over 100,000. I'd do it to find out the truth about Jamie Marino and Middlesbrough. <laughs> um, with that, sponsorship of children's football kits, if you've got any good stories yeah. about that, it feels like a really good area. Um, yeah. uh, there's a documentary about Pulp playing their uh, last ever gig in Sheffield, and they interview, I think it's the drummer. He's got Pulp have sponsored his kids' football team kit, and he said, none of the team know who Pulp are. <laughs> <laughs> he said his kids just like oh, it's just my dad's embarrassing band. <laughs> I think we should sponsor a kids team. Yeah, should we get quickly is, is that weirder on a, on a youth team? Yeah, because I don't think you can like put pictures up or stuff of children on no. Twitter. Well, can't we put a picture of you handing sweets to a kid? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, and, and adults, so a Sunday league team. I think we could be interested in yeah. sponsoring a Sunday league team. Yeah. We were going to do the billboard, the, we sh- we the, the sponsorship that, board. Yeah. We've got to do it right yeah. from now on. Okay, okay. okay. Let's stop so, doing the things we say. Yeah. <laughs> So, we're going to do the sponsorship board at a ground. If you're in the Vanarama Premier League or higher and you've got a sponsorship board that we could sponsor, get in touch. please get in touch. Hello, Equipment. And in a brilliant link, Thomas Newton. Evening, guys. I was watching a Duncan Disorderly Ferguson compilation on Facebook. <laughs> Hang on, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have repeat that. I was watching a Duncan Disorderly Ferguson <laughs> compilation on Facebook. I remember from a previous podcast, a fellow listener emailed you about Hans Sager's little tie sideline. Yeah. 
If you look at the grainy still attached, Hans Sagers had an advertising hoarding at Selhurst Park in the 90s. For his ties? And you can see Duncan Ferk disorderly scoring a goal there, and in the background it says, Ties, Hans Sagers. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so Hans Hagers, what we said were pretty, you know, unclearable ties. Right? It'd be like a Barcelona tie and stuff, yeah. wasn't there? He had an advertising hoarding. There you can see it. What ground is that? That's Selhurst Park, where he would have been the Wimbledon Park. goalie. It's bizarre because it just literally says ties. Hans Sagers has a telephone number and a fax. Yeah, he's, he's like Polo by Ralph Lauren. It's ties by Hans Sagers. Ties by Hans Sagers. You can't really make out the number. I'd love to call Imagine it. being at a wedding, just seeing someone go, is that Hans Sagers? <laughs> is that Hans Sagers? I've so got a nice weird, suit. Where can I get a good tie? Do you know Hans Sagers? <laughs> what a strange business to get into, ties. Yeah. Um, if anyone ever got a Hans Sagers tie, yeah. or we're always looking for the best... Uh, the best advertising hoarding at your uh, at your stadium in the 90s and uh, this is how you get in touch get in touch with the show email hello at quicklykevin.com follow us on facebook and twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com we should say before this episode ivo graham is an amazing comic, uh, and his show was nominated for the best show at the Edinburgh Festival uh, this year. He will be touring that show in spring 2020. Do go and see it. I saw it in Edinburgh. It's genuinely one of the best stand-up shows I've seen in years. So go Google Ivo Graham tour. Uh, he's hitting places like London, Manchester, Leddersford. Time now to wrap up the trilogy. It's part three of Steve Bruce's Murder Mysteries. This is Defender. Jaguar, in a world of anonymous luxury cars, a one-word statement of character, passion, individuality. Introducing the new Jaguar XJ series. Now, you're face to face with a new Jaguar. A synthesis of all the legendary Jaguars that have gone before with a new skin that is metal-made fluid, recalling the classic, rounded contours and understated elegance of the renowned Jaguar Series 3. And beneath the skin, nothing less than a technological renaissance. A big welcome to our resident literary expert, Ivo Graham. Hello, boys. Um, obviously, this is going out later, but this is recorded in the week. Very controversially, the booker has been split between two authors. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that. <laughs> Rooney and Rebecca Vardy. <laughs> and it's a shame that it, uh, Steve Bruce wasn't one of those two authors. Passed over again. I would say this is his least uh, booker. I'd say if he was being given for this one, it would be like when an actor is given an Oscar yeah. as like a lifetime achievement. It's his scent of a woman. That's what this would be. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, Steve Bruce's Defender, the third book in the uh, Steve Barnes trilogy. Yes. Me and Ivo have read it. Uh, Michael and Chris, you've still not read any of them, but you certainly, you're across them. Yeah. I feel like I've lived it. I don't think you need to know much about the first two to enjoy Defender, well, enjoy as a network, to understand <laughs> Defender. 
to take the peculiar claustrophobic enjoyment yeah. you get from 70 pages of a Steve Barnes novel. Yeah. Um, I think, well, as ever, as he did in the last one, he'll, they'll occasionally be the most loose of references to events yeah. in the previous books with a footnote recommending that you seek out Striker and Sweet Lebowski. But it's, it's the most cursory reference to it. Yeah. You'd think that you would either wouldn't mention it at all and treat it as a standalone new novel, or you know the whole history of the character would hang over it a lot more, and he'd be a yes, lot less inclined. Th- you would totally think that, particularly because this is in the uh, the run-in of the exact same season where the first two murders have taken place. <laughs> but this is all. <laughs> hang on, whoa! This is all in the same season. It's all in the same. But season. I thought the first book ends on a big cliffhanging game. Yeah, it does. But it's season. an early season game. It's an early season game. <laughs> And then that's the talent of Bruce. He's yeah. able to make you care so much about those late August fixtures. <laughs> a six-pointer in late August. So this is later in the season. But you'd think the fact there'd been two murders related to the club, one to a player, one to a caretaker, would then when a well, I can say a player goes missing, you'd think the murders would hang heavier over the narrative. Yeah. Can we have but a quick... But it's barely mentioned. Leddesford, as a, as a club and a community, has a phenomenal ability to reset. <laughs> um, so, shall we start? It starts chapter one. Uh, Steve Barnes is still manager of Leddesford. They are gunning for promotion. Despite the fact two murders have been committed around the club that season, their league form has held up, which they're... I wouldn't have expected. But not sort of... They, they haven't been so defiant that they're absolutely storming the league. No, it's a sort of it's an astonishingly quite good season. Yeah. So there's been there's been crime, there's been death, and they're about fifth. <laughs> they've they've <laughs> done very well up to Christmas, then it's kind of fallen off fallen off a cliff a bit due to injuries um, and, and death. As he says, uh, their problems are a lack of goal and a weak defence. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they're they're looking to take three points from their game against Bridderford. Bridderford, of course, in a classic Steve Bruce is on Monday, because he never plays on a Saturday for some reason. It's a Monday night fixture against Bridderford. The fact that it's a Monday night fixture is referred to so much. He's constantly feeling a great sense of relief uh, that he's able to get more done because he's got that bonus bit of weekend. (laughs) Do lower league teams ever play on a Monday night, or is that...? Well, it's interesting you say that, because there's no mention of Sky. Right. There's no mention of, like, international fixtures moving it. Yeah. There's no mention of the away fans having an absolute nightmare return home. <laughs> <laughs> the last train to Bridderford being a 9.05. <laughs> <laughs> and there's... Yeah, and there's no mention of why it's on the Monday, no. Right. In fact, I'd say he, he he's not even completely committed to it, because at one point in the book, unless I've made a mistake, he forgets and he refers to it as being on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I, if I had to speculate, I'd say in Steve Bruce's office, he's got a plan of what needs to happen in the plot, and he's realised that it needs to last for more than seven days. So he's had to move the fixture to Monday to allow the plot to play out. <laughs> oh, I see. But he knows he doesn't have a full fortnight's worth of narrative, which is like, <laughs> it can't could, be the following Saturday. He, <laughs> he could have made it a Tuesday night fixture with the Saturday off for international. He couldn't have had the international break, though, because then it would have actually damaged it the would. plot. Well, particularly in a novel as international as this one. Yeah. And that's, I'd say, the big leap forward Ooh. in Defender. OK, so do you want to start us off, Ivo, with what... Uh... Well, it's we're straight in with the club's objective. Uh, for God's sake, do we want promotion or don't we? Promotion, the forbidden word. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best of times, it was the worst oh, yeah. of times. <laughs> and I don't... I, I think 
if you want to get promoted uh, and, and you're into the last, they've got, I think, six games left of the season, I think you probably are talking about it all the time. Yes. I don't think that's a... But it starts off with this incredibly superstitious emphasis on not mentioning promotion uh, at, at, at any cost. Yeah. The so search for the promotion... Macbeth the Macbeth of the championship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the search for promotion is the club's grand strategy, but it cannot be allowed to intrude into every aspect of life, and certainly not as far as every minute on the training ground. I'd say you can mention it at training. But anyway, but they want to get three points from Brideford next Monday. So what it starts with is uh, their Brazilian defender, Cabral. He's a very talented Brazilian defender, but he's a liability. Right. He's a, person. Them a, a yeah. raft of personal issues. Yeah, he's a, kind of, he's a kind of Balotelli, I suppose. Okay. Or, you know, there's various... Probably based on Emerson, I'd guess, <laughs> right. at that stage. That kind of player. So this, this feels like a good moment to talk about the cover of the book, which yes. is... Uh, the, the statue of Jesus in Rio, is yep. it not? Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer, Christ Redeemer. of course. What else Christ we got the Redeemer, going on there? a player in uh, just kicking a ball, and a, a couple holidaying on a beach, <laughs> which I'm going to say bears no relation to any of the plot. No, I'll tell you what, Mrs Barnes does not make it to Brazil. <laughs> She's not on the plane. Never, she doesn't have a speaking role this time, does she? <laughs> doesn't get a word in. Oh um, so basically what happens is uh, Cabral has been... Uh, he's gone missing from training. Mm. Uh, they don't know why he's not there. And then this is also... Um, Steve Barnes, six games from the end of the season, has decided to totally do a tactical shake-up and play four up front for the next game. He's playing 4-2-4. Four, four. He's playing 4... No, it, it transpires at the end. He's playing 2-4-4. Four, four. Yeah, I don't... I don't I, what? Two I at the back? I don't really understand the formations no. referred to in this, because as, he spends a long time at the end talking about how teams used to play 2-3-5 yeah. all the time. Yeah. But I suppose it all really hangs on where you see the wing-backs as being in, in those. <laughs> the, 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 the point is, the greatest emphasis is on their two central defenders... One yeah. of whom is this rogue absentee Cabral. Yes. And then they come down to training. Steve Barnes turns to his assistant, Jock, and says, he must have guessed my thoughts. Jock replies, distance running? It's distance running. <laughs> it's distance running. And, and they were absolutely right to be do a bit of distance yeah. running. <laughs> and they do. You can either go 10-mile run or 20 circuits of the football pitch. And so that is their training to learn a new system for the new week. <laughs> <laughs> How does that help? I don't know. It's not even really clear whether that... So, for example, when he's talking about the, the distance running... So here's, here's an interesting one. Uh, uh, there was a story told in these parts of the former player at Lettersford who went up to, on to a nearby town as manager. He bought a young player from Northern Ireland. Uh, he was interested in tactics, muscle development, breathing exercises and dietary regimes. Uh, on arrival at his first English club, the player was dismayed to discover that training sessions consisted solely of jogging around the cinder track, that and nothing else. When he approached the manager and asked when they were going to do work with a football, the answer was simple. They were not going to see a ball for the whole week. The young man asked why and was told that they would not see a ball for six days, and so when Saturday came, they would be hungry for it. <laughs> now, as I read that, I couldn't tell whether I was meant to find that like the most boneheaded suggestion ever or the most revolutionary idea. Now, I mean, maybe that works. To what extent is this Steve Bruce's managerial philosophy? Well, it's astonishing when you read this and you think that this man is currently competing about <laughs> against Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. <laughs> because unless, obviously, there's... As always, we should say, we're not talking about Steve Bruce, we're talking about Steve Barnes. Yeah. So maybe Steve Bruce's knowledge is a lot better than Steve Barnes. But Steve Barnes knows 
fuck all about tattoos. <laughs> but it's worth saying, it's worth saying, uh, Josh, that um, in a in a lovely bit of dedication to the project, uh, we actually went to watch Steve Bruce's uh, current team in action yeah. yes, at St James's Park uh, a week and a half ago uh, before your tour when date. They beat Manchester United. They beat Man United one 0 in what was a really great result for Bruce slash Barnes. Would you say that Newcastle's players ran around like they'd been starved of a ball? <laughs> I think that was the key. That was the key. I'll tell you what, Andy Carroll was starved of the ball when he came on. (laughs) Andy Carroll entered his eighth day of not seeing the ball. (laughs) He was absolutely ravenous by the time he got into the dressing room. (laughs) Give him a ball. (laughs) Um, So then Danny uh, Drever, who's a bit of a, who's one of their best players, but he's a bit of a wag. So Steve Barnes says, um, be here tomorrow on the dot. Anyone late without good reason? We'll have a week's wages docked, to which Drever says, what if I have a medical certificate, boss? Danny is a Ford and a bit of a comedian. That's great banter. Um, and then <laughs> Steve Barnes replies, bear in mind, two murders at this club in the last six months. Medical certificate, only a certificate of death will be enough, Danny. <laughs> Come on, Steve. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> Uh, careful what you wish for. Yeah. Printed off so many of those, the club's printed almost out of paper. <laughs> now, I think you, you, we've... we've, we've dropped Well, we've been so bit. quick to get to the uh, to the banter between him and uh, comedian-slash-forward Danny Drever um, that we've missed a little bit of backstory about uh, Cabral and, and also um, a little bit of Brazilian history as well. Oh, yes. So who... Uh, no, listen, I, I, I don't need to ask uh, Michael or, or Chris this, but just for the benefit of the listeners at home, who, who was uh, Pedro Alvarez Cabral? Of course he was the Portuguese admiral who discovered Brazil. <laughs> he, he hadn't intended to, but the country was in his way as he navigated a new route to India. What I like about the Portuguese stuff is basically he comes down to finding out the, the guy's name, right? Because he's just called Cabral, but he's got one of those long Brazilian names. And he says, um, he soon put everyone right, it was Cabral. We have no problem with that. Everyone has the right to control over their own name. Absolutely. <laughs> Which you would think is an aside, but actually, as the book goes on, Turns out to be a theme. Yes. Oh, okay. well, I don't know if you remember Names. in the last one, he was uh, he got in trouble for trying to call a, a female policeman Chris instead of Christine. Yes. And and similarly, we've got we've got Steves and Stevens and and, and yeah, he, lo- he loves shortenings of names or lengthenings of names and what the rights are to do that <laughs> to strangers. See, he says, I mean, who refers to Pele as Edson Arantes de Nascimento? Yeah. Lovely bit of... He knows Perry's <laughs> full name. Don't you worry. This is before the days of Google he's written this as well. So he's, what's he done there? Fired up in Carter? No, he's just... He's just he knows, knows it. it. He he's asked Gary Pallister. <laughs> <laughs> so that's essentially uh, the start of it. And then at the end of the uh, training session, his phone rings. Uh, he doesn't recognise the printout number. I know my home number, my wife's number, my wife's mobile and my agent. This was unknown. And it's Jim Jones from The Record. Mm. No, no son of Harry Pickles in this book, sadly. <laughs> Poor old Harry Pickles <laughs> has missed the scoop. The record's essentially the sun or something like that. Well, and... it's, it's the correspondence of a large and influential national tabloid newspaper. <laughs> we, we can't be any more specific. Than <laughs> okay, that. sorry. Uh, and Jim Jones knows that Cabral has gone missing. Right. That has broken as a story. It's an interesting choice of Jim Jones. Isn't he the radical preacher from the US who ended up taking a load of people to South America and killing them? Is that true? Yeah. I imagine that's a, a little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Bizarre that, choice of name. Yes, I'm afraid to say that that's not a little hint for what's to come later. Although <laughs> <laughs> they do go to South America. Yeah, there's enough air miles clocked up in this story already, Chris. But Jim Jones says uh, Cabral done a runner, skipped the country, probably back in South America. And so uh, this is news to Steve. And so Steve has to go to the stadium to do an impromptu press conference to these journalists. Steve doesn't know anything. So he then gets to the stadium, meets the club's PR, who gives him no information, but basically dispatches him into this press conference. Mm. But before he goes to the press conference, he goes and sees Julie. Yes. You might remember Julie, his for, PA. For a cheeky <laughs> chamomile tea. Well, you say chamomile tea, it does come up again. So Harry Pickles hasn't made it back, but Julie makes it back. Sir Lawrence makes it back. Sir Lawrence and I'm delighted back. to say Peter Penrice makes it back. <laughs> oh, lovely. So all your old yes. faves, with the exception of Pickles, present and correct. Yeah. Uh, quick musing on, on the sort of private lives of players, I think. Yeah. Any options as to where Cabral was. At yeah, home with a cold, right. perhaps. Nursing a hangover. Shacked up with a girl somewhere. Reluctant to leave her for the hard slog of training. <laughs> Not the sort of thing a manager can condone, but something he can understand. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is There's he's... nothing nicer than when you've underlined the same passage as oh, I've <laughs> When you've both gone, that is pure Bruce. Well, later in the paragraph, I've given something five ticks, Josh. Oh, yeah, what's that? Well, it's, uh, it's obviously a reference to the, the, the greatest oh, football hero yeah. of the day, and still. Yeah. Um, he's still talking about how difficult it is being a professional footballer. Yeah. You know what it's like, play a blinder and you're the hero, letting a soft goal and you're the target of abuse. Ask David Beckham about it. Or better still, don't ask Beckham. <laughs> don't really know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially saying that David Beckham would know what that's like, but if you were to ask David Beckham to tell you what it's like, you'd only be adding to the burden of being David Beckham. <laughs> so he, he muses on Beckham and then he goes to meet Julie, who he's basically in love with. If I was... I'm going to say this. I know that there's a line between Steve Barnes and Steve Bruce. If I was Steve Bruce's wife... <laughs> I'd be worried about his PA at, at Huddersfield. Well, you'd be like a... I'm not saying anything was going on, but I'm saying it's written like a man who loves their own yeah. PA. Is... Yeah, when Steve comes home at 1am with chamomile on his breath. <laughs> this is the literary version of Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga at the Oscars. I'm checking his phone. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not saying anything. I think, and I think that would be the only time that someone compares Bradley Cooper to Steve Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> so... He goes in, he talks to Julie, so blah, blah, blah. Who would be a manager, Julie? Yeah, I've underlined this bit as well. <laughs> she smiled sadly, but did not answer. She knows a rhetorical question when she hears one. <laughs> I love the idea of Steve Bruce Rushbuds having fired a whole host of PAs previously for replying to rhetorical questions. <laughs> Can't it's anymore. the first thing he looks for in a woman is to understand what a rhetorical That's question is. That's the job interview. You come in, you say, who would be a manager? And if they say, well, I suppose, right, you're out. <laughs> now we get a nice little uh, waxing on uh, on Sir Lawrence again. Yeah. Uh, we've got a moment for this. Yep. Is this about the stand? It is about the stand. Yes. And also so, quite quite relevant to our experience uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I'd say. But so, yes. He goes to talk to the press in the Sir Lawrence Brook Conference Centre. If he has a weakness... And what do you think his weakness is? Ego. And being a human, he has weaknesses, as we all do. It's his to have his name boldly in places where it can be seen. That is Sir Lawrence's oh, only, yeah. only weakness. So we have the Sir Lawrence Brook stand, the Sir Lawrence Brook Conference Centre, and there are other examples in and around the town... It is, I guess, a form of immortality. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
That's actually the best line in that in all of these books so far. Yeah, yeah. lovely. Yeah, do you like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm up for that. Many Next. of us can be chairman, but very few of us got our name on the conference. <laughs> <laughs> that conference center will be here in 400 years' time. <laughs> but it's a strong Mike Ashley vibe, isn't it? Yeah, really, it's actually. very right. Although, though he is in awe of Sir Lawrence, almost more than he has ever been at this. Yeah, in I this... think so. I wonder whether he started naming rooms of his own house after Sir Lawrence, (laughs) just to to bring that immortality back to Casa del Barnes. So then he sits down to do the press conference in front of all the journalists. Uh, Thank you for coming here this morning. I've been told that Cabral is missing. Then, for a reason I cannot even now understand, I recited his full name. Pedro Alvarez Cabral de Sao Ramundo. This brought a ripple of laughter. It shouldn't have done, but it did. Good tip no for any I... managers in press conferences there. If you want to lighten the tone, just give the full name of one of your South American <laughs> players. <laughs> it must have been a very quiet news week. If yes. a player missing training. In a championship club. Yeah. Neymar can disappear to his sister's birthday. Well, you don't get an entire fleet of the press turn upside down. Well, outside. that's interesting you say that. Particularly in the late 90s, when yeah. you're thinking, if a player had gone missing at Huddersfield Town, but... The press do have more information than you think, Michael. Right. They've got more than Barnes, haven't mm. they? The press have heard that he's in South America. Yes. Who was, the, who was Neymar's manager when, uh, when, when he went off to visit his sister? Uh, probably Thomas Tuchel. I'm do, not sure. Do you think Tuchel would have got a few cheap laughs by doing Neymar's full name? <laughs> <in the press? laughs> <laughs> that full name as well, it's, it's a bit stereotypical. I can imagine Steve, Steve Bruce just sat there by a keyboard, and Demundo just adding in all these Brazilian sounding stuff, Nascimento. Uh, needs to be long, I need a couple more. He'd have been sat in the Sir Lawrence office in his house, just trying on lots of different Brazilian names for some. So, for some reason, he's been thrust into this press conference, even though he knows less than the press. Yeah. Uh, so they start asking him. Um, he was seen in Rio yesterday. Steve, see, Steve replies, seen or reported to have been seen. There's a wealth of difference, Jim. I looked at the sea of faces, microphones, recording machines. <laughs> then there's just a time for a little riff. The differences in attire from those dressed formally in a suit, collar and tie and others dressed in the latest combat gear fashion. <laughs> I love a reporter in combat gear. Yeah. <laughs> combat gear? All saints are in. The men with designer stubble. <laughs> the women with seemingly dishevelled hair that probably took a couple of hours to look that way. I don't know what that woman's haircut is he's describing. <laughs> yeah. Because you get the kind of... The, the Rachel? Be- <laughs> the Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, then, excuse my ignorance... I don't know if this is a real person because he works for the Manchester Evening News. Did you find this confusing? It is very confusing. But uh, I didn't know whether there were, there were, she was from a TV or newspaper. She didn't give her name. There were some faces I recognised. Paul Ince from the Manchester Evening News. Now, is there what? a journalist called Paul Ince? Not as I was able I to find. Mean, or was... has he chosen a random fictional name? He's chosen that of Paul Ince. <laughs> or thirdly, is he trying to imply the footballer Paul Ince is now working for the Manchester <laughs> Evening News? Yeah. Does, does he have any characteristics, Paul Ince? No, the, it's, the just tu- it's literally just touched on that he's aware of Paul Ince. I was hoping maybe it was a sort of thinly veiled character assassination. <laughs> he's got his own parking space at the Manchester Evening News. <laughs> The governor on it. <laughs> Gutting for David Beckham after France 98 when he comes out of his house and he's got Paul Ince going through his bins. <laughs> if you are from the Manchester area and, and I'm, we're wrong and Paul Ince is a real journalist, 
then I'd love to know. There's why. no way he's no. and that would be such a hard. It would be incredibly hard. I think if you were Paul, I would say that would almost be a barrier to entry for being a sports journalist in Manchester in the late nineties because it would just look so confusing. You have to have a non diploma. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then he goes. He does that, and he goes back to Julie. Goes back to his office where Julie is. Uh, there's a short, polite knock on the door, and Julie entered. Are you abstaining or not? She's, that's her opening. Yep. I smiled. You little temptress, I said. <laughs> <laughs> not too strong, though, and go easy on the milk and sugar. <laughs> uh, lovely. Has anyone ever referred to someone offering him a cup of tea as a temptress before? <laughs> <laughs> so she offers him the tea. She's already on her way out of the room. She turned. I said, I'm going out. You can get me on my mobile. If Sir Lawrence comes in, what shall I tell him? Tell him I've gone to watch a young prospect. Where? Newcastle United Reserves, I said. And where will you really be? She smiled. Searching for Cabral. Keep that under your hat, Julie. I'm going to do some investigating. Oh, boy. I'm going to try and discover the truth about our missing football star. I would say in a TV series, everything up until now would be cold open. That would be straight into title. (laughs) (laughs) We are 24 pages and we're a fifth of the way into the book at this point. When he said, I'm going to go solve this case, I almost heard the A-team soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter three. Chapter three. It's a delicate matter, a delicate balancing act, you might say, between allowing the player his privacy and knowing enough to be able to keep control and, where necessary, give him all necessary support. Uh, just because a report says Cabra's been seen in Rio de Janeiro doesn't mean he's there. You could just as well be on the moors outside Oldham with a double puncture and no access to a telephone. Life's a strange journey. We don't know what the script has in store for us. We don't even know for sure if there's a script at all. We have to make the best of our days. I mean, just such lovely philosophy to toss aside in the opening paragraph of a chapter. Yeah, he sets it up, uh, so then he's, he's with Julie still. He also says, soccer management is not a linear progression, but a roller coaster. What a terrible sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so, he decides to phone Cabral's agent, who is an Italian man, quite a tough agent. His name is Romano. In all our dealings with Romano, the agent's first name, colon, his surname was long and, for me, almost unpronounceable. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't afford him the same respect as he does to Cabral. No doubt in a press conference he'd read out his full name for a cheap laugh. <laughs> from the so then he goes to look for Cabral. And we come to his car. Yes. Now you will remember what he drove last time. The Jag. XJ8. The Jag. I drive at Merck right now. It's provided for me by the club. They gave me a Jag at first, but recently took that away without explanation and gave me a Merc. I think I'd pushed the mileage on the Jag too high. I tried to read something into the swap, but that was a fruitless thing to do. Let's be honest, a Merc is still top of the range. (laughs) (laughs) The time for me to worry is when the club provided me with a Skoda or Robin Reliant. Then I could conclude I might be on my way out. Now, I'd say fans of car bants and car stats will be disappointed by Very Defender. disappointed. There's no sort of wonderful uh, lyrical passage where he talks about all the features of his car and is able to use them to his advantage, for example, during a chase. Yeah. This is pretty much the main and only reference we get to No, it. there's, there's a, a reference when the kidnapper oh, I uh, references that he now drives a Merc instead of a Jag, and that really 
makes Steve Barnes worry, but we will come to that. I was disappointed to find that his jag was provided by the club. Me too. Yes. Yeah. I, that, that sort of takes something yeah. away from it a little bit. I thought it was a for personal me. decision. Yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly it. And mm. to know that it can just be taken away so easily. The fact that there's an absence of the jag in this book suggests that Steve or his editor has no idea where the gold lies in these books. <laughs> Alternatively, do you think he was being sponsored by Jaguar in the first two books? The sponsorship was withdrawn. He thought, well, I'll tell you what, Barnes ain't driving a Jag no more. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mercedes. Also, you know when he's pushed the mileage on it too high, so... What does that mean? That someone at the club is <laughs> looks checked in the mileage. Yeah, box. Box. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had so a company car, but do they do they clock your mileage week on week to check that you're not? I guess I they're mean... keeping an eye on it. Well, who are they? Sir Lawrence. Because also, as a football manager, you're driving to match, like like driving to watch. Yeah, it's all going to be for work, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. He's investigated two murders. In that <laughs> <jack>. <laughs> Steve, I'm afraid uh, Jaguar have called. Apparently you really screwed over the suspension on the Pennines. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're taking it away. You'll get a Merc. It's, it's not Robin Reliant time yet, don't worry. But uh... I love the idea of a manager's security at a club being tracked by a weekly change of car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mourinho turned up in the Robin Reliant the last days at United. Oh, look, he's close now. Sure, you know Mourinho lived in the Lowry throughout his time at the... Yeah. Do you think his room was slowly downgraded towards the end? Last <laughs> <laughs> two nights in the kitchen. <laughs> so, uh, then he goes to uh, Cabral's house or flat. Uh, it's, he's basically, Cabral lives in quite, an, quite a nice gated community in a block behind a gate. But Steve um, sweet talks uh, the... Uh, the concierge. The concierge. That's my word, not Barnes's. Oh, OK. And um, the sweets talk to him because the guy is aware who Steve Barnes is. Yeah, Steve, isn't it? Steve Barnes, yes. There are times when being recognised has its advantages, and this was one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a lovely petty little bit as well where he has to be asked to be let into Cabral's flat and, uh, and, the, and the caretaker says, it's against the regulations, Steve. It could cost me my job, but as I know you... I thanked him and deemed... It's not wise to remind him that he did not know me at all except as a public figure. <laughs> so the power dynamic in yeah. this is, is all over the shop, really. I'd say Steve Barnes struggles with fame. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's got an uneasy relationship with being a public figure. Delighted to be recognised, but if someone becomes a bit too affectionate, yeah. you're not my mate, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Another lovely detail, he passes a fish and chip shop catches the wonderful smell, is tempted to stop and resist the temptation. No need for that information at all. <laughs> <laughs> is he just bumping the word count? Yeah. So then he uh, gets in touch with Julie. She says, I should have contacted you straight away. I've had a phone call. The man wouldn't give his name, almost put the phone down, but he was insistent. What did he want, Julie? He demanded a ransom. What? Now I was worried. Now bear in mind, his player is missing... And someone's phoned up demanding a ransom, and he's investigating the fact the player's missing. Steve Barnes' first thought, now I was worried. My first thoughts were for the children. <laughs> Both teenagers still at school. I've always kept them out of the public eye. Why would he think that his family had been taken hostage? Yeah. It's if he's investigated a missing person, <laughs> and someone's then phoned up asking for a ransom, his letters were just so full of crime <laughs> that he presumes after two murders that. It'll just be sandwiched on top of another crime. I found an absolutely baffling train of thought. So then um, he wants 
Do you want to have a guess at how much money he wants? Million pounds. Correct. Got it in one. Got it in one. How much are they? How much is he worth? Just pay it. Close the book after four chapters. (laughs) Came back. Can't get a million pounds up very easily. So Lawrence makes that very clear later on. (laughs) At the Um, moment, he's not too bothered. He thinks it's still probably somebody playing silly buggers. Yes. But then, as I drove along the town's inner ring road, past the university campus, my telephone rang. Yes? The guy goes, Steve, it was a male voice. Yes, mate, what can I do for you? Very soon, I was sure I would recognise the voice. Steve Barnes, manager of Leddersford Town Football Club. Who is it? Listen carefully. Now, who the hell... I told you to listen, he interrupted. (laughs) The voice was harsh, menacing. As Julia said, this guy was sinister. By this time, I had no doubt who the caller was. What do you want? One million or Cabral dies. Do you hear me? I hear you. And this is my favourite uh, phrase, because this is exactly how a kidnapper speaks. One million or Cabral dies. Do you hear me? I hear you. Then you got that good, eh? One million bucks or your (laughs) South American star is dead meat. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that Steve Barnes answers the phone, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't. Later on, he answers the phone in the most baffling way I've ever heard. But we'll come to that. It's worth saying, when he says, by this time, I had no doubt who the caller was, it it means that he knows that it's the person who's going to be asking for money. It doesn't mean he actually knows the identity yes, yes. of right. this person, which is, I would say, one of the defining mysteries of the whole book. Yes. Chapter four begins. And at this point, I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm going to say it, Ivo. For the first 70 of 120 pages, I was genuinely interested to see what happened. Really? I, I was genuinely like, I wonder who the kidnapper is. I wonder how he's going to find Cabral. I wonder if he's going to pay up. There was genuine questions. And then the second twist in the plot absolutely kills it dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Even by the high standards. Save the gold. <laughs> Steve Bruce right. set in previous So that's books. the end of chapter three. <laughs> Any questions at this stage? No. It's It's the most cohesive book he's written, but also by far the most boring. But chapter four starts with some nice detail, because you occasionally forget that this was at the advent of mobile phones. Yeah. And Steve Barnes is obsessed with the kind of difference between landline and mobiles. There was a great sentence in the last one when someone calls him and he says as if it's the most impressive thing in the world. I knew who was calling. I have the number saved in my telephone. (laughs) Well, you say that. The start of chapter four. He hung up. I tried to access his number but the kind of mobile phone I use doesn't have that facility. <laughs> Poor guy. It was another world, wasn't it? What had happened is uh, he'd, he'd done too many minutes on his main phone, so the club <laughs> traded in for, for a cheaper phone. <laughs> this is also the point where he says, uh, I sigh deeply. We're now on the run into the end of the season. Not more than half a dozen games to play. Important games, crucial games, starting with Bridiford on the coming Saturday afternoon. So that's where he just got <laughs> he's <just> forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's a chance that he's written it a Saturday, he's then gone, started writing and realised there's not enough days in the plot, so he's had to go back in a kind of find-replace motion? <laughs> and he's missed one. He's, he's missed, missed one. very he's, well. He's done very yeah. well. He's made it all so Monday night. It's important to the plot that this all happens in a week, do we think? No, no it, well, it happens arbitrary. over nine days, but he has to... Because every book climaxes with a match... Right. But there's not enough days in the week for him to fit right. in the amount of things that Steve Barnes does <laughs> yeah. Sunday to Saturday. I mean, don't get me wrong, there is. 
<laughs> he could absolutely cut about two thirds of the thing he does yeah. and the plot would be fine. But in terms of what he lists himself as doing, no. So he then talks about how a manager needs to give a good public profile and he returns to something that he's talked about in a book before, which is um, leaving a nightclub with blondes on both arms. Yeah. He's obsessed with the idea of women on both arms <laughs> as he leaves a nightclub. Even if I wanted, I can't be seen with blondes on either arm leaving a Manchester nightclub. The public wouldn't like it. Sir Lawrence would be appalled. And more to the point, my wife and children would come down on me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> and lastly, my family. Yeah, Sir Lawrence, the fans, and also married a kid. And they would come down on me like a ton of bricks. Like a ton of bricks. Is Who's still for your kids He's as well. absolutely obsessed with that image of the exit of the nightclub with women on your arm. And that that is something that plays heavily on Steve Barnes's mind constantly. Oh, so Sir Lawrence and his family, they're the barriers to leaving nightclubs with lo- yeah. women on his arms. If, so, if I had to say what Steve Barnes was masturbating over, it would be paparazzi pictures of people leaving nightclubs <laughs> rather than actual... <laughs> That's what he's into, is the thought of being spotted by a pap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Steve Barnes walks out of a Manchester nightclub with a blonde on either arm. <laughs> He soaks up the cameras, enjoys his moment, and then thanks the girls for their time, and they get separate cameras. <laughs> the, the, the important thing is... Can I just say, also, Steve Barnes, who's, what, a, a, a manager of a championship club in his mid-40s, yeah. is that the kind of person that could go into a Manchester nightclub yeah. and convince two blondes to, <laughs> exactly. to leave on his arms? I, I think part of the issue is that Steve Bruce, even at his peak... Yeah, wasn't the type of player that was able to do that. <laughs> so he's almost deflecting and going, well, you can't be seen to be doing that. <laughs> you had zero chance of ever being seen to be doing that. Yeah, he was going to Ryan Giggs. I wouldn't want to go out with Danny Bear if I could. <laughs> so actually, I don't want to go out with Danny Bear. So yeah, yeah. maybe maybe if the girls are starved of any male kind of interaction for seven days and then put in a nightclub... <laughs> They'd be so hungry for it. <laughs> Steve Barnes coming out of the nightclub. Paul Ince snapping away outside, <laughs> trying to get the big scoop. <laughs> okay, so so he talks about the blondes on his arm for no reason. It's absolutely unneeded. But uh, now there is a major problem. The positive public image of the club was in danger because the player has gone AWOL. We get a bit more insight into him and Julie's relationship as well. Uh, he, say, he says, give me a few hours, Julie. It isn't up to me. You make decisions. That's why they pay me a fat salary. Something like that, she said. And she was serious and did not smile. It doesn't feel so fat when the end of the month comes, I said. What with two teenagers and a wife to support. Tell me about it, she replied glumly. I did not pursue that line. <laughs> I know she has two children, but I'm not sure if there's a man in her life, and it's not my business either. (laughs) Steve would love to pursue that business further. His assistant is a single mum, potentially. Surely, surely, that would... He's been working with Julie very closely. You would know if she had a husband. Yeah. I mean, this is so. Like, I think this is inspired by real a real life situation. I think we mentioned earlier. I think he doesn't know. But have you ever worked with someone for that length of time, that closely, and had only half the story about their domestic situation? I love the thought of Steve doing all the old tricks. Like you'll probably want to be getting home to your husband. <laughs> <laughs> 
just look at her finger. Well, like she's, she's going to be wearing a ring. In her defence, I think Julie's constantly worried whether the questioning is rhetorical or not. So she's just <laughs> not answering. <laughs> uh, the telephone rang, the landline, not the mobile. We both stiffened. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> apprehensive that it would be the kidnapper again. Neither of us picked up the receiver. You take it, Julie. So then, it's not the kidnapper. It's Mr Peter Penrice. Uh, it was my old mate, Peter Penrice. We used to play together. Now, obviously, he's the manager of Burnwick. <laughs> One of, of the teams fighting for the playoffs. They have a bit of banter. Uh, sorry, mate, I've been trying all day, says Peter. You had a good win on Saturday. What are you whining about? You won 2-0, I noticed. With three points behind you, he said. Some of the worst banter I've ever heard in my life. Well, I like the thought that they're having that phone conversation, just reading the back page of the paper, just, just producing whatever stats they can. <laughs> so, by this time, Julie had used her discretion and left the office. Oh, yeah, she doesn't want to listen in on a spicy conversation like that between two old pals. <laughs> Julie, if you wouldn't mind leaving, uh, Peter and I are just going to discuss Burnwick's goal difference for a bit. So he then explains to Peter Penrice um, about the Cabral situation. Can you, can you get Michael and Chris to try and guess yes. how he describes a million pounds? Yeah. So they did not know as yet the demand for... No? A million big green ones. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's, it's the American publisher again saying... Same deal as last time, uh, Steve. Love the book. If you can refer to it as soccer quite a lot, and maybe just if you can get in big green ones. <laughs> <laughs> he then talks about Romano, the agent again. He riffs on this. He's an agent. Players provide his bread and butter. And not a little cream. Absolutely Ugh. not an analogy. No. <laughs> Got any of that Doesn't bread and cream? In, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work in any way. I think, uh, what's his name? Mino Raiola read this book when he was a young man. He thought, <laughs> okay, tell, tell me more about this cream. <laughs> so then we come to um, probably my favourite section of the book. It's Your the, favourite section? It's the best paragraph. It's the best paragraph. It's the only paragraph where he really goes back into the classic Bruce prose of the first two. Right. Yeah. It's worth noting a lot of the fun prose is like little phrases now. There's none of the longer riffs. Yeah. But this feels like a hangover from the first two books. We start off with him talking about his watch, yeah. and it goes into just the most wonderful musing. So he's talking about going to meet Peter Penrice. Almost any scenario would be better than a serious kidnap with a demand for big bucks. Another one there for you. <laughs> I check my wristwatch. It's nothing special. Not one of those big... And before you say it, he might... It might be a club wristwatch that's been traded in. We don't, we don't know. <laughs> it's nothing special. Not one of those big name watches that cost several thousands. I think it cost me about 70 quid. The important thing is that it looks good, isn't flashy, and most importantly of all, keeps excellent time. Not that we need watches as much as we used to. When I'm travelling, there's a clock in the car. In the offices, there's always the date and the time on the computer visual display unit. There are clocks on every wall at the club. Maybe we're too aware of time these days. Allow clocks and punctuality to rule our lives. In the old days, people went by the seasons, the rise and the setting of the sun. OK, that was fine for agricultural people living in isolated villages, and it wouldn't do for a modern industrial society. I mean, when we advertise a match has to start at three o'clock, members of the paying public have the right to know that when the match will start. <laughs> Nevertheless... Although time is important, I still believe it assumes too great a place in our lives. I like it when we go on holiday. We usually go to Barbados. Then it is possible to relax on the beach and by the hotel swimming pool, and time can be forgotten. 
We don't even have to bother with mealtimes because food is ostensibly 24 hours a day. I told Peter I would meet him in about one hour. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, I think when we go to watch football matches as fans, I think we take for granted often how generous it is of the club respecting our right to know the start time of the match. <laughs> okay, so he's then he decides he's going to go and meet Peter Penrice in the uh, in the Feathers where they met previously. The Feathers, which is the only place that is always written in italics for some reason. Love that. I've got no knowledge why the Feathers a pub, not a not a title of a book, constantly referred to as in italics. <laughs> but then uh, Sir Lawrence comes in. What happens with Sir Lawrence? Well, we get a bit of fun about uh, Sir Lawrence's drinking habits. Oh, yes. So Sir Lawrence's favourite drink is a brandy and ginger. Uh, and But what, what's his, what's his, what modern fad uh, to do with that drink does he always complain about? Ice. And that's exactly what it is. That's what's referred to as one of Sir Lawrence's hobby horses. He's always complaining about the modern fad of ice in brandy. And Sir Lawrence says... The whole point about the shape of a brandy glass is that one can warm the brandy using the palm of one's hand. To which Steve replies, exactly, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely pathetic from both parties. (laughs) We get a lovely detail about Sir Lawrence's life. I absolutely love this. Sir Lawrence uh, puts his success down to uh, the fact that he takes siestas. So uh, Sir Lawrence claims that his success in business and his general fitness as a man no longer young is owed to his habit of going to bed for two hours from noon till two o'clock or thereabouts. He wakes refreshed and is able then to work or play till midnight. Six hours and he's up and busy again. Absolutely What great. a weird detail about Sir Lawrence. And it makes me question if one of those chairmen Steve Bruce has played under has siestas. <laughs> it's got to be based on someone, hasn't it? It's a very odd character trait. It's a very it's a odd long character. long siesta as well, 12 till 2. Yeah. <laughs> very, con- very convenient that pretty much all of Lettuce's games are on a Monday evening. Because <laughs> the 12.30 kick-off Sir Lawrence is asleep, but he's barely woken up in time for the 3 o'clock. <laughs> also... But he's buzzing by 8 on a Monday. <laughs> well, I'd love to know. Does Sir Lawrence have a bed at his offices? Or does he go yeah. home from the well, letters? And, and, and when have you ever heard of successful businessmen sleeping in the middle of the day? <laughs> like Branson, any of the anyone on Dragon's Den? Um, I mean, he's also necking warm brandy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sleeping it off at lunchtime. Um, passed out. Could I just say that Steve Barnes is lying to himself in the next paragraph when he says about Sir Lawrence, I was staying patient, giving the right answers. It's not a matter of keeping him sweet. I'm no sycophant. Fuck off, Steve. <laughs> Fuck off. Can I refer you back to exactly, sir? <laughs> you're the worst, Steve. You're a sick about not just in your speaking, but in your thoughts. <laughs> your thoughts are pathetically sycophantic towards Sir Lawrence. Also, in this conversation, bear in mind, he doesn't bring up Cabral for ages, Sir Lawrence. Yeah, for God. It's been in the news. <laughs> this, this is the main thing affecting the club. But they talk about Cheltenham, they talk about Brandy. Finally, they get to talk about Cabral, yeah. They, they're interrupted the racing with adverts because he puts on Cheltenham, Sir Lawrence. Quite spoils the racing. And there was a mention of Cabral. Did you know this, Steve? Did you know this? He's done a press conference at your club mm. to all of the... Um... Yeah, but the press conference was at one o'clock. Sir <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence was dead to the world. <laughs> Them's the rules. <laughs> He doesn't even want to know anything that goes on between 12 and 2. 
<laughs> so Sir Lawrence uh, has finally brought up the Cabral issue and has approved of Steve Barnes's decision not to go to the police. Then when Steve is in his office, he gets a call on his mobile from the same person again. Sir Lawrence isn't there at this point because he's gone to the bar to replenish his glass with brandy. <laughs> no, he's just got up, to be fair. He's such an old drunk, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get to sleep by myself. So, now, uh, the man on the phone, it says, was trying to disguise his voice by adopting a low, rasping tone. I'll be the man with the low, rasping tone. Okay, you cool. be Steve. What are you after? Money. 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 What else is there? Publicity, I said. Forget publicity. He rasped. <laughs> he rasped. <laughs> Don't go near the newspapers or the police. Remember, we have Cabral. Do you have a name? If you're trying to keep me talking to establish a trace... I haven't contacted the police. I need some evidence that you really have Cabral. I can cut off his ear and send you that. <laughs> he laughed out loud as if he had said something uproariously funny instead of something absolutely disgusting. <laughs> absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Steve hasn't really sort of encountered many psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> he would he would find the film Joker absolutely baffling. <laughs> He's doing all this awful stuff and he keeps laughing. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> so basically, the, uh, the phone call, it re-establishes that a million big green ones is required yeah. pretty urgently. And then the extortionist, uh, or Steve does say later in the book, he doesn't like the word extortionist, he prefers kidnapper. Um, Can we just pause to reflect on the level of dysfunction at this football club? People keep dying all over the place. The assistant manager tried to kill the manager. The, the manager's running around trying to solve murders. And the chairman is pissed and sleeping half the day. <laughs> like, it's incredible. Is there any talk of why they don't want to go to the police? That seems like a very odd logic. Um, I think it's, it's not really touched on. I've maybe put this in myself because it doesn't say it. But the presumption would be, or you could deal with that in a few lines by saying, if you get the police involved, I'll kill him. That's all they, they need to yeah. say that. He's forgotten that, to put that. That's what normally happens in these situations. It's, quite, it's a staple of this yeah. kind of kidnapping But they thing. forgot. he's forgotten to put that in, but I'm taking it as read that that must be what yeah. Steve Bruce is thinking is the situation. <laughs> well, so now we get to this bit where him and Sir Lawrence start discussing what to call the extortionist on the phone. And they come up with a name for the extortionist. Uh, it might help if we give him a name, Sir Lawrence said. I could think of several, I said, with repressed anger, and none of them complimentary. We settled for chummy. <laughs> we haven't heard of anyone being called chummy. 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 Do you, I didn't particularly like the choice of name. This man was no friend of mine. No chum, explaining. Was <laughs> <laughs> this Steve Barnes came up with chummy? No, no, no. but I was in no mood to argue, and in any case, I couldn't think of an alternative. <laughs> Chummy was a, a term used by the police, Sir Lawrence had told me, at least in TV cop shows in the 60s and 70s, which I don't remember, of course. So that's why they call him Chummy. And then uh, Sir Lawrence uh, orders some food and some uh, tea. He asked for two pots of tea, chamomile tea. Chamomile has a soothing effect, he told me, and it contains no caffeine, as ordinary Indian or Ceylon teas do. Good that he's still using the... Uh, the word Ceylon. Sir Lawrence, very much a man of the empire. <laughs> <laughs> so they then have some food. Steve has a lovely pork pie. Oh, yes. And but, uh, I mean, it's more than just a pork pie. He eats like a wolf. 
<laughs> okay, sorry, that, that's, again, that's, that's the book. That's not me. <laughs> Sir Lawrence has cucumber sandwiches. Steve Barnes. One has... of Sir Lawrence's um, sort of employees comes in. She's carrying a large tray with tea and an assortment of sandwiches. I suddenly felt hungry. As well as sandwiches, there were slices of quiche, portions of pork pie, cheese and chicken drumsticks. There were pickles and sauces of various kinds. You know, I once saw J.K. Rowling interviewed and she talked about how when she was a kid, she was really into the descriptions of food in books. Mm. And she really, in Harry Potter, really tried to describe the feasts. Yeah. And when I was reading this, I was thinking about that interview with J.K. Rowling and imagining <laughs> that Steve Bruce had seen the same interview. <laughs> Sauces and <laughs> all kinds of sauces. He chews his pork pie and he daubs the segments liberally with mustard. <laughs> Have you ever used door to describe <laughs> liberally? Liberally, a liberal daubing of mustard, please. <laughs> Conservative daubing for me. He's, a, he's also he's very much a man. He is into, into food. I suppose Steve Bruce. This is unfair to say, but he's a man whose weight has fluctuated up and down. Yeah, he's interested in hunger and what it does to the mind. <laughs> um, so he then riffs on this. We ate our food and drank our tea in silence. I was thinking deeply. Now that the pangs of hunger had been assuaged, I was able to think more clearly. It's a known fact that even when we're at rest, the cells of the brain take up 70% of our glucose intake. It's a <laughs> known <laughs> fact. <laughs> <laughs> but does Sir Lawrence describe as eating like a wolf? No, no that's Steve, Steve Barnes. Steve eats oh, like Steve a wolf, Barnes. whereas Sir Lawrence uh, sticks to cucumber sandwiches and eats more slowly. Uh, he must have eaten earlier in the day and thus did not feel the pangs of hunger that I did. <laughs> Steve Barnes is someone who, when they're on a diet, is only thinking about food. <laughs> <laughs> and when he's not on a diet, I'll tell you what, he's daubing pretty bloody liberally. <laughs> OK, so then we've had this lovely riff on the food that Sir Lawrence has brought in, which is Steve Barnes, Steve Bruce lets himself off the leash a bit, really, literally, uh, in terms of his word use and his kind of... He enjoys writing about food. Oh, he loves it. Yeah. You know, and it's easier for him to write about food when he's had some food. Because yes. even when we're at rest, and I don't need to tell you guys this, but uh, the cells of the brain take up about 70% of our glucose intake. <laughs> that explains why, when we're tired, exhausted even, we turn to chocolate. Oh. Which is a good way of making large amounts of sugar energy quickly. <laughs> good old chocolate. <laughs> the old instant sugar energy, as I call it. You can imagine Steve Bruce... As he was writing that at midnight and justifying his uh, crunchy that he was eating. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, wait, I'll work it off by uh, thinking about the book. If I know Steve Barnes, the glove compartment of the Merc is absolutely full of boots. <laughs> right. Uh, what then happened? Well, he's wondering why... Uh, what should we call this guy? The extortionist? Or the... Yeah. Or, or the, oh, the chummy. chummy. Oh, yeah. Chummy, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Chummy. Yeah, uh, let's see if I can think of another name for Chummy. I can't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so he's wondering what Chummy wants. It says uh, it, it, it could just be that he simply wanted to be famous for five minutes. It could be that he just wanted to meet a football star. Cabral, I mean, not me. My playing days are at an end, except for the occasional turnout of veterans for a mate's <laughs> testimonial. <laughs> so he played, you know, that's modest of Steve. Yeah. He, he, he knows he's not sort of kidnap catnip on his own. <laughs> So, uh, Sir Lawrence then says that, uh, don't tell the police, but uh, at Sir Lawrence's club, 
uh, the chief constable of uh, Leddersford is also a member of Sir Lawrence's club. Not the football club, he's in like yeah. a kind of... A he's, oh, he's in a gentleman's yeah. club, and I'll tell you what, there's no bloody ice in the brandy. At <laughs> 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 uh, so he'd, he's going to have a quiet word with the chief constable to say right. what they're up to at the club. And so the that, implication being that the chief constable is going to be fine with this? Club rules, Michael. Right. <laughs> you misunderstand quite how influential Sir Lawrence is yes. in the Yorkshire policing. Corridors of power yeah. and all yeah. that. Yeah. It's actually called the Sir Lawrence Yorkshire <laughs> so then uh, you might have forgotten that uh, just before Sir Lawrence came in Steve was off to meet Peter Penrice at the feathers yeah. at the feathers italics um, <laughs> oh, as, as he closed the door I could see Sir Lawrence pouring himself another brandy so just if you're keeping score it's three brandies for Sir Lawrence in this meeting <laughs> There's a bit. This is then insane. So he's then going to meet the um, chummy. chummy. But before that, so that's a big moment. So he's a. I replaced the receiver. I sighed. There was still some time left. I toyed with the idea of phoning my agent, not to tell him about Cabral and Chummy, but to have a general discussion of my finances. <laughs> <laughs> and what, if anything, he was doing for me. <laughs> I know he's actively seeking more media work for me. You'll have seen me on various TV shows. Most of these programmes are pre-recorded, so nothing ever interferes with the important business of running Leddersford Town FC. Someone once asked me how I could be on a TV show and be at a match at the same time. The answer is simple. The programme was recorded three months earlier. <laughs> I was at the game. Amazing. Three months earlier. <laughs> what <laughs> what type months. of show is he on? I, uh, the Apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> he was on Bear Grylls the Island. <laughs> Three months. He just struggled for food on Bear Grylls the Island. Liberally devouring a tortoise. <laughs> um, but... Just trying to get his glucose anyway. <laughs> If you interviewed Steve Barnes three months ago, he's dealing with the death of a player, isn't he? <laughs> like, no, but now I was he's trying moved on. to think what Steve Barnes would be on, and I could only narrow it down to possibly question of sport. Right, that maybe. that might be recorded three months earlier and have Steve Barnes on it. But also the way he says, "I was at the game," as if. He's been really accused of not turning up for matches because yeah. because I suppose the danger is if you play a lot of your games on Monday evenings, there's more TV, primetime TV yes. to clash with. Oh, you shouldn't have been an EastEnders, Steve. <laughs> I wasn't. It was recorded three months ago. Like he's blowing anyone's mind with the news about TV's made. But his agent isn't getting him enough of this sort of work anyway. So why he phones his agent and goes into a riff about pre-recording before going to meet Cabral is anyone's yeah. guess. Yeah. A player's missing, possibly dead. We've got a, a million pounds being demanded of us, but, but hang on one second. Why haven't I been on blind date yet? <laughs> <laughs> See, leaving the studio blonde on each arm. I think with this book, like you're getting little flashes into what's actually happening to Steve Bruce yes, at that time, yeah. isn't it? Like, the day he's written this, he's had a meeting with his agent where he's annoyed yeah. about it not getting yeah. enough Do you think stuff? last year he would have, that Steve Bruce would have seen Harry Redknapp on I'm a Celebrity and been absolutely livid? <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got a good agent. <laughs> so then he goes to meet Chummy. And he's saying, like, why wouldn't you say this guy or this nutter or he says if you must know Julian you've probably earned the right to know I have an appointment at seven with Chummy like it's his hairdresser <laughs> this is a sinister psychopath <laughs> and does, does, does Julie not say 
who's Chummy. Why did you call him Chummy? earlier that Chummy was the name Sir Lawrence is the right, okay. If I if I hated, I love the idea of his diary. Seven pm, Chummy. <laughs> If you hated, <laughs> show me. If you hated Sir Lawrence's nickname, but you had such deep respect for Sir Lawrence that you sort of had to go along with it, as soon as Sir Lawrence was gone, I'd be back to referring to him on my own terms with Julie. <laughs> Unfortunately, Julia, I don't like this any more than you do. But uh, but, but, but Sir Lawrence, who let me forget whose name is all over this town, uh, said that we've got to call him Chummy. So he goes to meet. He goes does not to meet Chummy. Chummy says he's going to phone a call box at seven. Right. Mm-hmm. Excited, guys? We, we haven't checked in with you enough on this one. Um, been... I am excited. This feels like it's a proper mystery. Well, it's yes. a lot easier to follow. The yeah. previous books, I was just lost at sea at times. But I'm, I'm following this. I have some Exa- theories about how this is going to play out, but I don't, if I'm correct, I don't want to ruin it for the listeners. So, Well, we can always edit that out. Okay. So give me your theory. I think that he's not really been kidnapped, obviously. I think he is going to be elsewhere doing something innocuous and someone is exploiting their knowledge of that fact to try and extort money from and the club. And how do you think that will play out? I think it's going to be a huge anticlimax. Chris? Listen, I think... I'm not going well, to tell you if you're I, right I, I think I was thinking that. The, my other theory was that he's the kidnapper and he's, oh, he's dobbing Cabral. himself in. Who? Cabral. The Cabral is pretending to be the kidnapper. Oh, that and is good. That and there is good. no kidnapper. The fact I'm so impressed by that was hint it's not the right answer. <laughs> Right, so he goes into town. It's a bit lively, the town centre. Most of the people on the main street seem to be young. Perhaps many are from the local university, which is situated right in the centre of the town. Strange thing about students, they complain about having no money or not enough, yet they always seem to have enough to go to pubs and clubs. I'd say that's as as right-wing as this. That is some very lazy student bashing there. Yeah, that's bad from Steve, isn't it, really? Come on, Steve, you're better than that. He was delighted with the introduction of tuition fees. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, he had a lot of mustard on his pork pie the day it went up to nine grand a year. <laughs> so he then goes um, to the uh, phone box. Uh, two girls came up to me. They looked about 16 and could have been younger. Oh, no. They wore revealing dresses, although it was far from warm that evening. I and totter- grabbed one with my left arm and grabbed one with my right arm <laughs> <laughs> and hoped that Paul Lynch would turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, if you've missed the start of that podcast, that's <laughs> absolutely <Yeah>. scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> There's a trailer yeah. for the first podcast. I think that would get us taken off air. <laughs> You, you've got to understand, we'd be saying in court, we didn't mean Paul Winston football, no, we meant the fiction of Manchester Evening News journalists. Uh, so, uh, yes, they were revealing dresses, although it was far from warm that evening, and totted on high heel shoes that were little better than a thong and a piece of cardboard masquerading as leather. I'm presuming it means thong in the Australian sense of flip-flop. <laughs> yeah, it was going to right. make slightly more sense. <laughs> so he then has an argument <laughs> with these two girls because they want to use the phone, right? They want they're waiting for a call. <laughs> Astonishingly, they're waiting for a call on the phone. What, what time of day is this? Is this five seven, to seven? Five to seven <laughs> on a Monday evening. On a, on a Monday, Monday evening. evening? No, not on a Monday evening, is it? It is a Monday. Oh, it's a week it, to the next yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's the only Monday evening all year that that, that, that uh, let us put on playing. <laughs> Um, so, um, he has an argument with these girls. It's really great. Do you want to be... Um... So he's waiting for the phone to ring, and yeah. these girls want to use they the phone. They want to use the phone in, at 7 o'clock. 
Mm. They're waiting for a call at seven. He's waiting. That's five minutes away, I replied. Let us in then. <laughs> no way, I said, barring the way. My call is very important. Then the telephone rings. And it is an absolutely superb conversation. Yeah. Bear in mind, there's two people waiting for a call here. He takes matters into his own hands. Do you want to be Steve or do you want to be the, first, the be? female voice Josh. at the other end? I'll be Steve. All right. He, I grabbed the receiver. Yes, I barked. It was a female voice at the other end. That you, Joyce? <laughs> do I sound like a Joyce? Put Joyce on. There's no Joyce here. Get off the line. <laughs> she asked me to give her a buzz. You've got the wrong number, I said. Please hang up. I replaced the receiver, and then I turned to the girls, still standing there, neither neither shivering despite their lack of warm clothing. Either of you called Joyce? <laughs> they both shook their heads. I'm, I'm Elaine, and this is Sam. I'm Elaine. What? This is Sam. <laughs> so there's a third party <laughs> waiting to use this. Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to tell you this, but that bears no relation to anything that happens later in the story. Is there any reason why they don't just ring his mobile phone again? Why has he had to go uh, to a payphone? They phone? send him on a kind of... They're basically about to send him on a... Um, it's not called a witch hunt. What's it called? Uh, a wild goose, goose chase. Well, he's, he's, right. Yes, he's right. Uh, to kind of go from phone to phone. Right. Um, the guy's playing with him. You've got to remember, Chummy is a wacker. Okay, <laughs> of course. This is very similar to the plot of Die Hard 3. I don't know Die Hard 3. Uh, yeah. I can tell you that I don't know how Die Hard 3 ends, but I imagine it's not similar. <laughs> but, but Bruce's <laughs> tactics are to copy films, aren't they? Like, he, the first yeah. one was Fugitive. Yeah. I don't know what the second one was. Uh, and this one sounds to be Die, Die Hard 3. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, Joyce never shows. So then uh, Chummy, uh, Elaine and Sam are given the yeah. go away. And then Chummy, the phone rings. Yes, my mouth was dry. Steve Barnes, manager of Letters for Town Football Club. The same opening words, the same need for ritual. Yes. So this is, Ooh. I think, this is the third phone call he's received from uh, this guy, Chummy. And every time, uh, Chummy has opened it by saying, Steve Barnes, manager of Letters for Town Football Club. And Steve slowly goes more and more annoyed with the fact that he's referred to like that each why, time. Why in the second call when he was in Sir Lawrence's office has he disguised his voice? Or is this a thing that's happened in every call? It's, it's a bit muddled, really. Right. <laughs> I'm afraid. I, I think at yeah. one point, because isn't, isn't it... We've, oh. we've got to let Bruce have this one. It's such, okay. a, it's such a coherent book otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then Steve says, Steve Barnes, manager of Lettersfield Town, you know damn well it is. Do you have an auto with you? What? <laughs> Your automobile, a motor vehicle. Do you have wheels? Great. I'll tell you what, this guy speaks English. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then drive to Long Lane. There's a telephone box there. Long Lane, where's that? He knows where it is. It's on the M62. He drives across the Pennines home every day. So basically, the guy sends him uh, to a phone box that is near a hotel. Steve Barnes says he'll be there in 15 minutes, knowing damn well he can be there in 10. (laughs) But thinking, I bet the guy is in the hotel on a payphone. All I've got to do is get to the hotel before the 15 minutes. So he arrives... You're excited now, aren't you? I mean, I'm interested. This yeah. is good. This is good thriller writing. So he then he uh, he drives fast, perhaps a little too fast for safety, and reaches the hotel in less than ten minutes. Basically, he runs in. There's no. I haven't underlined any interesting prose here because I was just enjoying the book. Mm-hmm. But he basically says to the girl on reception, "Has anyone used that phone in the last ten minutes?" Right. And he's like, "It's a police matter." She's a bit unsure, and then he's like. She's like, yes, an old man has used this phone. He's like, show me the person. Where's he gone? He's gone into the bar. Yeah. Show me the person. She points at basically an old man who's one of four old men. 
He then says to her, keep watch on this guy, see if he uses the phone in the next five minutes. Uh, so he runs out of the hotel, drives to the, uh, the phone box that is 200 yards down from the hotel. He gets inside and the telephone was ringing, ringing instantly. Joyce? Huh? Is that you? No, it's not Joyce. <laughs> he astonishingly answers it by shouting the word Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I shouted. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. no. Michael, do you ever do that? <laughs> what does the guy reply? Steve Barnes of Lettersford, you know, manager yeah, of Lettersford Steve Town. Steve Barnes, manager of Lettersford Town. Let I... him have his little ritual of repetition. It allowed me time to get my breath back. Get on with it, I shouted. So then he blames heavy traffic while he wasn't there. Uh, then the guy basically says that you've got to drive over the hills, you come to an inn, it's called High Stones. You park there, you do not enter. You understand? I understand, I said glumly. It's becoming clear to me, Chummy was giving me the runaround. <laughs> you have 15 minutes, no problem. Not for a man who drives an excellent Mercedes-Benz. He laughed shrilly, as if the joke was intended not merely for himself, but for another listener. Mm. This guy had done his homework. Only recently I'd swapped the Jag for the Merc. So, oh, so someone maybe no. is he involved with the swapping? No, nah. So then he decides to drive to Highstones. Did he just write off the hotel theory? Yeah, he writes that off quite quick. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is. This is an infuriating section of the book for me. Really? It, I think it's infuriating for Steve, and it's infuriating for because as Steve observes, Chummy's giving him the runaround. He's making it difficult for for Steve to know where he is. But what this whole section is is just Steve driving around. <laughs> In his, you know, rented, not even Jag anymore, just going to phone boxes and picking up incredibly repetitive calls from Chummy, who's not changing his demands at all. (laughs) So then he drives up to High Stones, is it called? Yes, which is a kind of... Imagine an old pub in the middle of the moors that's been there for hundreds of years, yeah. that kind of pub. Can, can I just ask a quick, yeah. why, why is he running around taking these calls? Because usually it's to drop a ransom off. Well, he doesn't... Chummy, when he just picks up the talk. phone, is like, right, next you have to go to the... Chummy's giving him the runaround. Mm. Chummy's but taking to what end? Is, is he expecting money from the end of this? Is that clear? Well, Chummy wants a million green big ones. But he's end. not getting it by giving Steve Barnes the runaround, is well, he? Well, let's see how it plays out. But is it, is Steve Barnes led him to believe he's got a million big ones Chummy's on him. Chummy's losing 20p a go on these calls. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's be clear. Steve Barnes is just having to go along with this. Okay. Chummy holds the cards. Yeah, right. This is Chummy flexing his muscles and playing with Barnsley. So, he goes up onto the moorland. It's not quite dark yet. He can see the green grass of fields turned to rough peat where cultivation ended and sheep farming began. (laughs) Obviously, height of tension, so he decides to riff on this. (laughs) According to my son, who reads about these things in books and on the internet, animals we now associate with tropical lands once roamed these hills. Elephants, hyenas, lions... Then, as the climate called, over many thousands of years, there appeared the animals of the icy lands. Reindeer, the Arctic fox and hare, elk, and even the woolly rhinoceros. <laughs> 10,000 years ago, the ice retreated. As the climate again became warmer and the miracle of rebirth occurred, soon these hills were covered with trees. This lasted until the arrival on Earth of the most dangerous animal of them all. Man. <laughs> Um, so, are, are woolly rhinoceroses a thing? I don't know, mate. It might be a bit like Leddersford. It's a he doesn't want to. He hasn't got the rights to say mammoth. woolly mammoth, so he's had to say woolly rhinoceros as a variant. Steve uh, Barnes occasionally he can't place a call in his house because his son's on the internet reading about woolly rhinoceroses <laughs> on the dial-up again. You've got five more minutes, and I need the phone. So I'm hooked at this point. Ivo's lost. How, how does it int- end? How does it end with the calls? 
Um, so then he goes to this place. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happened is he's he's in his car. Yeah. Chummy's trying to call him, but the all he can hear is the crackle of poor signal because Chummy yeah. sent him to a place with bad signal. But then the line goes dead, and then someone comes out of the pub and says, uh, "There's a call for you in the pub," <laughs> and the guy in the pub knows because he he knew it would be a merc. Yeah. So he's so oh, so Chummy yeah. has now called the pub and said, "There's a guy outside in a merc. Uh, will you go and get him in, please?" So, he so comes Steve in. goes in. Uh, picks up the phone. Of course, Chummy says, Steve Barnes, manager of Letters for Town Football Club. <laughs> okay, quiz. Yep. Steve Barnes replies, no, it's... And then a punchline name. And you want to have a guess. You understand the construction of the joke, obviously. Yeah. So it's not Steve Barnes. No, it's... Who does he say? I- I've got four options. Okay? <laughs> okay. So the four options are... Uh, Florence Nightingale. <laughs> Mr Blobby. <laughs> The Archangel Gabriel or Muhammad Ali? <laughs> I'd like to think he would go Mr. Blobby. Right, Michael, what's your uh, I'm going to go with Muhammad Ali. It's the Archangel Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is such a weird... Oh, it's so strange. I said, having no idea why the name should have ended my mind at that time. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> Occasionally, though, Steve will get confused and will pick up the phone and go, Gabriel! <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Shami explains that this is a trial run. Practice. You know, a practice. Like the training ground every morning. And then he says, tomorrow you obtain the money in used notes. Then I give you the instructions. The real thing, no training. So he's basically giving him the runaround. Yeah for 10 pages yeah. as a training exercise. One million in used notes. Are you crazy? Crazy like a fox. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a phrase? Yeah, well, he's already done Hungry Like the Wolf. So <laughs> it's natural now to have crazy like the fox. And then, basically, uh, what happens then... So he asks Peter Penrice, uh, can you meet me at the Feathers in half an hour? I'm already there, Steve. Where are you? I gave him my own location. 20 quid says you can't get here in 30 minutes, Peter Penrose says. You're on, mate, I said. No problem. And this is a bit of consciously funny writing from Steve Bruce. I thanked the barman and left. I drove the way I had came. Soon I was on the motorway. 30 minutes to the feathers, no problem. 45 minutes later, I pulled into the car park in my favourite watering place. <laughs> a genuine joke, I think, from Steve yeah. Bruce, that. Yeah. He's, he's lightly mocking Steve Barnes for being over-optimistic about how quickly he can drive... <laughs> Steve in the, in the Bruce mirror. mocking Steve Barnes. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> oh, but it's dear. but it's but it's stylistically, it's so much subtler than pretty much all of the rest of the writing. Yeah, these... it would be a really good in a, in a sort of sitcom of this. It would be that like harsh cut of like yeah. uh, of of Peter Penrose laying him down the gauntlet and Steve Barnes laughing and being like no problem, and then it's a harsh cut <laughs> yeah. to Steve Barnes handing over the twenty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Peter Penrose says, what's happened? And Steve Bruce says, I'll tell you all about it. And that is the cliffhanger at the end of Chapter 6. So that brings us to the halfway stage of Defender. I'm not going to lie, there was more in it than we thought there would be. So we've split this episode into two parts. The second part is already available. So stop the tape and turn it over now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.